Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hi, I'm Will Summer, and welcome to The Daily Beast Fever Dreams. I'm a politics reporter at The Daily Beast. My book on QAnon, Trust the Plan, The Rise of QAnon, and the Conspiracy that Unhinged America, will be available in February and is available for pre-order now. And I'm Kelly Weil. I am also a reporter at The Daily Beast, and I'm the author of the book Off the Edge, Flat Earthers, Conspiracy Culture, and Why People Will Believe Anything. On this podcast, we're going to take you on plunges into the sometimes hilarious, sometimes scary fanatics infecting the way that millions of Americans view the world and how they vote. Even in the aftermath of the Trump administration, the energy of these conspiracy theorists, grifters, and influencers is still pushing our mainstream political landscape closer and closer to a breaking point. Okay, welcome back to Fever Dreams. I'm Will Summer, joined as always by Kelly Weil. Kelly, how are you doing? I'm all right, Will. How's it going with you? Good, but I didn't have quite the rowdy social schedule (laughs) that you did over the weekend. I understand you were partying with Roger Stone, the infamous dirty trickster. Tell me about that. Yeah, absolutely. So listen, I spent Friday night at a New York Young Republicans club party, as I do. Real mix of headliners. We've got Roger Stone of the Nixon and Trump administrations headlining alongside the hosts of Red Scare, the post-left podcast. So it was an interesting lineup. We got to talk to them, got to talk to a lot of great people who told me very candidly that they didn't believe in immigration. Someone who complained about not being able to issue slurs at his office, and I asked which slurs had been an issue, and he asked me if I wanted the spicy version or the regular version. So it's a good mixer. I should say that some of the actual mixers for drinks were pretty bad. I received word that they ran up the drink tab because people started ordering extremely expensive scotch mixed with Diet Coke. So it took all types. That's Praxis. Thanks to the local (laughs) DSA chapter guy who came in. Yeah, okay. So first, let's set this up. So this is the reason normally you don't, every time Roger Stone comes to New York, you aren't beating down the door to get in. But the notable thing here is that this was Roger Stone X Red Scare. And of course, Red Scare is the, I would say, formerly socialist, now nihilist, proto-fascist slash tradcath. That would be kind of pre-Vatican II Catholics. (laughs) podcast. And so this promised to be a collision between the Roger Stone and sort of the downtown scene. We had James Pogue on an earlier podcast talking about this kind of nightmare zone. So walk me through it. I have to say, you had some very interesting pictures on the Daily Beast, your articles up there. But I have to say, like, it looks like a really bad scene. (laughs) And reading the article, I was really impressed with you because, I mean, it seems like you were there for like three or four hours. Yeah, no, I totally stuck it out. Listen, Will, I have two young children. So if I'm going out, I'm going out. Mm -hmm. I'm putting it all out. It was an interesting scene. I think if I were to kind of describe the crowd, I'm going to put the ages like maybe median age, about 35 which is that a young Republican? It's pushing it. I would say the crowd was maybe 70% male, but it was hosted in a little Italy bar. I believe it had some mob connections. 
songs, which is interesting. And yeah, I mean, we were listening to the musical stylings of DJ collectives like Chinese Spy Balloon and Non Non Binary. These are names of DJ sets that dropped Sandstorm at one point. Again, kind of an interesting energy there. I think two collectives of people that didn't really know what to make of each other. I asked a lot of Republicans, like, what do you think about there being socialists here? Somebody told me they didn't believe there were socialists because socialists were too poor to go to a party. This was a party with $140 tickets. So it is interesting, right? I mean, there's this actual effort by like Peter Thiel and comparable intellectual dark web types to finance this mingling of the post left downtown set and Republicans trying to finance like film festivals and magazines that foster these ties. Weird to see it play out. Didn't see a lot of actual conversation, a lot of exchange of ideas happening there, except when one of the Red Scare hosts started yelling at the head of the young Republican Catholic caucus because she doesn't think the Pope is real. Poor vibes. Yeah, this was a big incident. This was a big highlight of the article for me. I mean, this is a Dasha Nekrasova. People may recognize her from a role on Succession. And she had this thing where she's recently been tweeting like, y'all, I can't even with this Pope. He is a heathen, right? Because she doesn't recognize the modern popes. And so, as you said, I mean, they're kind of broke out this big argument between her and, I guess, the more traditional Catholic right-wingers. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were definitely visible, like, political schisms at some point. So, listen... The idea of these events is to have some kind of kind of jokey event, something that just is ridiculous on its face. Roger Stone X Red Scare. And I think it launders the Republicans image in the downtown scene. It's sort of it's too funny to get really up in arms about. If you get genuinely mad about this event, then you can be dismissed as hysterical lib. But it does, I think, provide cover for some of the genuinely nefarious events that this group holds. Like literally the night before this party, they had had an anti drag panel where they had two of the featured members were part of this insane group called the Guardians of Divinity. You might recognize that name. They hang out outside drag events in the city alongside Proud Boys. And both of these members had recently been arrested for allegedly harassing a gay New York City council member. One of them allegedly hit the council member's neighbor in the face. So these are the people who are standard New York Young Republican clubs. And to have this more libertine scene there, I think kind of whitewashes what they do. What was funny to me, though, about this group having just the night before had an anti-drag event is one of the highlights at this party was going to be a burlesque dance that represented like a dance off between Russia and Ukraine. And I'm watching this and it's like, whatever, even people wearing like elaborate wigs. And these two guys in front of me are getting like visibly agitated that <laughs> these might be drag queens that they're watching. So it's I'm not sure all of these young Republicans can really hang with the downtown crew. Now, obviously, the highlight of this event was that Roger Stone was going to make cocktails for people. Tell me about this. Yeah. So Roger Stone was going to unveil Richard Nixon's legendary martini recipe. I didn't write it down. It had to do with olive brine. You take a jar of olives and you keep the brine, something like that. It was bad. I'm not saying this is a partisan. Like, I think genuinely something went wrong. Maybe I had the end of the shaker or something. Something was mixed poorly. It was a genuinely, genuinely bad drink. I'm trying to figure out how he fucked it up this bad. I think it was like a sweet vermouth. <laughs> it was like 80% of what was in mine. I ended up giving it away to somebody who poured it into another drink to make it drinkable through dilution. But it was bad. So Richard Nixon, if you're listening from beyond the grave, you got to update that cocktail recipe because 
It's funny to say, like, Richard Nixon's famous cocktail recipe. I mean, I think that was a guy who was mainly in it for the kind of getting the plastered aspect of it. (laughs) I don't think necessarily of Richard Nixon kind of storming through the White House, mumbling to himself about, like, mixology. Yeah, no, he doesn't seem like he's that kind of micro-brew, kind of gastro-pub sort of foodie type. But... I think, okay, listen, this was a ridiculous scene. I had a good time talking to insane people. But I think if there is some genuine takeaway from this, it's that all of these Red Scare types lean really hard into this idea that, as Dasha has tweeted, protesting is tacky, shouldn't be politically active. What are you, like an MSNBC mom? Or in the words of someone I spoke to, like nothing you do as an individual matters. And I sort of understand that mentality if you're talking about individually voting in a presidential election. Is it good to do? Yeah, totally. But you're probably not going to personally impact anything. But where I think that argument falls really flat is when you're doing something like hosting a fundraiser for an influential conservative club. That's where I think you've got a bit more agency than you're letting on. Well, Kelly, thank you for your service. I was really reading this article. I was like, you were there longer than Roger Stone was. <laughs> I was. It was his I was party. there longer than Martin Shkreli, who showed up for like five minutes and I missed him. I'm livid. I asked everybody to point me in the direction of Shkreli and we couldn't find him. Looking at those pictures, I really had flashbacks to like similar right wing events I've gone to where I'm like, this will be epic. This is so crazy that these guys are going to be there. And then you're in the room and you're like, well, yeah, I don't know what I expected. Why did I think this was going to be like really like a logistical feat? It was going to be like circus to Soleil and oh, it was going to be so interesting and it's just yeah it's these guys and they're just sitting there talking it's these guys they have they've got cigars as part of the whole performance oh, it, I was going to say the whole cigar thing and yeah. they promised free cigars and I didn't even get one they were out by the time I made it to the area which is probably good I don't want to interview anyone with a cigar in hand but you know if this is the party of plenty and abundance and I'm not feeling it it is funny to say like oh yeah you have the fat cats free cigars they're too expensive <laughs> Well, I will say the idea of you getting into cigars is very amusing. So hopefully that will start soon. Yeah, absolutely. I'll record our next episode in a velvet smoking jacket. (laughs) All right. Well, traveling across the country to a different group of fat cats, Kelly, catch us up on the collapse of the Silicon Valley Bank and in particular, the unlikely and obviously false explanation Republicans have come up with. Yeah, absolutely, Will. So I am checking my privilege at the woke bank. No, this is a Silicon Valley Bank. It's like California based bank and they crashed this weekend. What actually happened is pretty, I want to say darkly funny. The bank announced that it was trying to raise some money, had to do with interest rates in an undiversified portfolio. That's not what you listen to Fever Dreams for. But basically, this caused a bunch of VCs to panic and they got in their little group chat and they started a bank run. Like they pulled their money from the bank and they caused the thing to collapse. So this is pretty easy to diagnose what happened here. Maybe there can be some regulatory overhaul, but no, because if you listen to some of those same libertarian types, now they're saying that maybe Silicon Valley Bank failed because it was a little too woke. This, I think, is part of their quest to make every current event about their niche grievance of the day. And as soon as the bank crashed, commentators on the right started digging through bank literature for 
any kind of corporate speak about not being racist or not being discriminatory against gay people. This has been quite a stretch, I would say, even by their standards. I mean, basically, as you said, I mean, they've done sort of any search for like diversity language or any sort of diversity employees and saying, hmm, looks like this person, instead of creating the like queer affinity group, should have been making sure the bank wasn't investing in long term bonds and collapsing. And so, for example, we have a chart. Charlie Kirk tweeting out some DEI language from the bank and saying, it is a mystery why the bank collapsed. Now, a lot of people who are better at finance than you and I, including Matt Levine over at Bloomberg, have explained that this bank was poorly managed its risk and it had sort of unique risks because it was the Silicon Valley Bank. But instead, they just find, and this gets pretty vile, basically they find this, the main alleged culprit here for the right has been that they found this Silicon Valley Bank executive in the UK, which notably is not the United States, and so would be especially separate from whatever risk they were doing in the United States and found this. Yeah, she's a woman of color and she has this kind of diversity language in her bio. And it's been really crazy. The New York Post wrote a whole article about this, basically saying that this person is to blame because they were so busy at being woke that they didn't notice their bank was falling apart. Don Jr. tweeted that this woman's bio and said, SVB is what happens when you push a leftist slash woke ideology and have that take precedent over common sense business practices. And there's really no evidence that any of this is true. But they just need a reason to distract from the fact that this was caused by a lack of regulation. Yeah, absolutely. I do think it's actually very clarifying to see them just put it out here like that. What exactly do they mean by woke when they idea woke person? Oh, hey, it's one of the only women of color at this banking institution. Okay, well, thanks. It's pretty vile. The Wall Street Journal, they have a column that spells this out pretty explicitly and unironically. I'm going to read from it because it's just wonderful. It says, was there a regulatory failure? Perhaps. SVB was regulated like a bank, but looked more like a money market fund. Then there's this. In its proxy statement, SVB notes that besides 91% of their board being independent and 45% women, they also have, quote, one black, one LGBTQ, and two veterans. I'm not saying 12 white men would have avoided this mess, but the company may have been distracted by diversity demands. Distracted how? Like, what? They're busy being women. I'm not saying if only they had more non-veterans, how? they might have avoided this collapse. I love how they have to have the veteran thing in there to couch it. It's like, oh, they could have been busy reflecting on NOM. It is so thin. I mean, and that they came up with this really over the course of 48 hours. This reminds me back in 2008, after the financial collapse, then there were all these, once again, issues caused by a lack of regulation and, and these reckless banks. And instead they said, well, the issue is too many minorities received home loans. And so the problem is that they wouldn't say woke back then, but but essentially that these woke demands to give loans to minorities cause our whole economy to collapse. It was just, once again, completely made up. And like so many of these things, really an effort to avoid recognizing the obvious problem. Especially, the thing we have to also acknowledge here is that the head of this bank successfully lobbied to have regulations reduced on these banks back in the Trump administration. So there is a bit of a betrayal leading up to this, but instead it has to become, oh, the board wasn't entirely white guys. Yeah, it's pretty transparent misdirection. Another thing that they're trying right now is when people start saying like, oh, wow, these VCs are really cutthroat. What do these guys actually do? Do they actually produce any value? No, nope, you can't talk about that. Instead, what they're suggesting is that you maybe view these VCs as humble farmers. There's a great tweet here. It says, 
changed Silicon Valley Bank to Kansas Farmers Bank, replace tech startups with farmers, replace MBS with farm loans. Do you feel different? And so it's like, oh, you're rooting for VCs to fail? Bet you wouldn't root for farmers to fail. And actually, you know, we can talk about the way that farms receive just absurd subsidies, but I'm not. It's like, you're mad at me for being this thing? Well, consider, what if I was something else? I want to try that next time someone gets mad at the media. It's like, you're mad at me for being the media? What if you said nurse instead of reporter? <laughs> like, <laughs> Honestly, that's not a bad idea. Yeah. You don't like my article? Well, what if I saved someone's life? You would probably <laughs> like it then. The other, like setting aside the woke bag stuff, I mean, the other aspect of this has been all of these sort of Peter Thiel, Peter Thiel type characters who have been very infamously nasty venture capitalists on Twitter, sort of saying it's time to let capital take its course and Silicon Valley should lead the nation and all this. Suddenly, not only demanding the government step in and save them, but all, which I have to say, fair enough. It's just money deposited a bank. But this aspect of almost the sense that they were trying to start a wider bank run so the government would have to step in, that they were saying Silicon Valley goes down, people across the country, they're going to be freaking out. They're going to be lining up to take their money out so it's just been once again a real real interesting thing to watch i really can't believe this woke bank thing yeah absolutely i mean everyone's anarcho-capitalist until you need a little bit of a handout right i'm glad you mentioned peter Thiel. he keeps coming up in this episode actually because okay you want to do a real non-woke bank well remember glorify the anti-woke bank from like six months ago it was backed by peter Thiel. it was promoted by candace owens it had 50 million dollars in funding from billionaires and interest groups that wanted an anti-woke bank and how did they run it well it was run out of the ceo's like 16,000 square foot house in texas that was modeled after the white house he was constantly drinking he was fighting people in a pf changs two employees had sex on a zoom call or maybe it was an employee and somebody else <laughs> <laughs> it was a professional operation they were both employees i mean as you say i mean this was the anti-woke bank collapsed within a matter of months. Look, you look at Silicon Valley Bank, you look how woke they are. This bank didn't have, as far as I know, no one had sex on Zoom calls. No one was drinking in their home slash office slash mansion. That's your problem. It was all of these things. They weren't doing any of the anti-woke things. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what you have an HR coordinator to do and step in there and say you can't have sex on a Zoom call with investors. And I think ultimately that's what brings down the morale. <laughs> so, Will, the lawsuit by Dominion Voting against Fox News is ongoing, and we're getting just these delicious morsels about every week or so. You have one of the craziest stories, I think, about the origins of the big lie on Fox News. Can you tell me about this woman who thinks that she speaks to the wind? Yeah, so this is a very interesting story, and I have a whole article version of this on the Daily Beast, but as you said, I mean, we love the Dominion lawsuit. The little drips and drabs keep coming out of these emails where Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram are saying, like, I hate the news side. Why did they call the election for Biden? Ah, people are yelling at me at dinner. So that's pretty funny. And of course, Tucker Carlson saying, Trump is a demonic force who will destroy me, but only if I can only harness his power. <laughs> you know, all this stuff. So he's an occultist. I'm paraphrasing a little bit there, but 
But so one of the most interesting things for me is, and now to be clear, this is not the origin of the entire idea the election was stolen. I mean, Trump went out there the night of and said the election was stolen. But the idea that Dominion voting did it and sort of Fox's involvement in it, the first mention of this was on Maria Bartiromo's show a day after the election was called for Biden. So she has Sidney Powell on. We all know Sidney Powell. She's the lady who wears the denim biker jacket with a big Q on it. She's a sometimes lawyer for the Trump campaign. And so she was really out front on this Dominion stuff. So what's interesting to me is how this lawsuit has revealed the source of the claims that Maria Bartiromo made and how quickly these claims made it onto Fox News in the utter lack of vetting. So it revealed that this claim came from a woman named Marlena Bourne, who I had never heard of, has absolutely zero internet profile. She emailed Sidney Powell and said, look, here's the deal. The election was stolen by Dominion voting. They had this algorithm that would change Trump votes to Biden votes. It would change 3% of Trump votes to Biden votes. Now, this percentage is not an accident. It's the same number of merchant fees that American Express takes. And it's also the same number amount of donor money that Jared Kushner steals from the Republican Party each year. And at that point, you might be saying, hmm, this lady seems a little unhinged. Then a couple paragraphs in, she goes, by the way, Anderson Scalia was not shot accidentally on a hunting trip. And you say, well, that's not even the story of why he died. <laughs> she says, in fact, he was murdered in a most dangerous game style human hunting expedition at Bohemian Grove. Every year they hunt a human. If you are ever invited to this hunt, do not attend. Which, you know, fair enough. I just wanted and to burn she- the big wooden owl. <laughs> right, exactly. Guys, where's the owl? (laughs) And then finally she says, I've had a pretty crazy life. I once gave a tip to the FBI and about an hour later, I felt a pain as I was leaving the meeting. I felt a pain in my chest. (laughs) About a day later, I realized someone had shot me. Also, I was in a car crash once and I was internally decapitated. I should be dead. The ghost, I speak to the wind and it tells me I'm a ghost, but I don't believe it. So now this is pretty crazy stuff. But what's even crazier is that this message then travels Sidney Powell just within an hour of receiving this email, hits that forward button to Maria Bartiromo. Maria Bartiromo, within minutes, replies, thank you for this important info. (laughs) Then, a day later, Maria Bartiromo and Sidney Powell record this thing, putting Dominion in the jackpot, and Maria Bartiromo uses words specifically from this email. She says, it's totally made up stuff about Dominion, but she says words like, this person is a key shareholder, phrases taken from this email. And we know they are because it's fake stuff otherwise. And so she had to have gotten that idea from this email. So think about this. And so I wanted to get to the bottom of this. So I emailed Marlena Bourne. I sent, and she called me back a few days later and said, yeah, I'm the lady who speaks to the wind. What's going on? <laughs> Kelly, first of all, what's your impression of this? I mean, you get this email. Is this, let's say you're a producer for Maria Bartiromo for Sunday Morning Futures, as her show is called. Are you slapping this on? Is this a stop the presses moment for you? I mean, well, this isn't even really a hypothetical because I get absolutely unhinged emails all times of the day. People talk to me about the microchips that are embedded in their skulls and tell me that they're going to try and dig them out. And I say, please don't do that. So yeah, I mean, I interface or hit delete on really a wealth of these emails. So the fact that this was able to escalate up the Fox News food chain at all is pretty distressing. The idea that you can get this email, right, and it's someone talking about that they're internally decapitated, that Antonin Scalia is doing the most dangerous game and hunting humans in Bohemian Grove. And to really sanitize that and pull out the sanest excerpts to pull out phrases like, oh, they're a key shareholder. It makes me genuinely wonder who believes this. Does Sidney Powell, maybe. Does Maria Bartiromo 
that's it just strikes me as extremely cynical right i mean to get something that's patently crazy and to try and push it off as your 9 p.m b block it is the sanitizing of it and this is what the dominion lawsuit is getting at is that obviously they didn't include the antonin scalia human hunting stuff because people would say well this is crazy but they can say well maybe nancy pelosi's husband is a key shareholder in dominion or what have you so i talked to marlena Bourne about this and look i want to say this i mean this lady she's got some pretty wacky ideas and she's welcome to believe him she's a self-described cactus artist as best i can tell (laughs) we didn't quite get into it it was a 40-minute call and it covered a lot of topics at her discretion but she seems to glue crystals onto cacti and i've actually gotten more than one request for how to buy her stuff since this article ran but i have not been able to find it but i guess my interest in this is how little evidence she has for these claims that then immediately make it onto fox news and so in this case i said so where do you get your ideas like where did you get this thing that dominion had this three percent vote changing algorithm she says well i get my ideas just sort of everywhere i might be watching a movie and i'll think "Hmm, maybe that's real or I'll watch a TV show, or I'll hear a bit of song lyrics. And the one that got me was that she might overhear conversation at the grocery store. So, I mean, this is someone who is not existing in sort of an empirical world as we understand it. She cites some like Native American mystic beliefs. It is some pretty out there stuff. I asked her, I said, you said you talked to the wind? What do you mean by that? And she said, well, do you believe in telepathy? Oh, no. And I said... (laughs) And this is, Kelly, I know you've had these conversations with people before where you kind of have to say, well, that's certainly interesting. Or I never thought about it like that before. And so I said, I'll be honest, I don't believe in telepathy, but I haven't given it a ton of investigation. And so she said, well, to me, maybe telepathy is just the Internet. And I was like, all right, this is official. Marita Bartiromo should not have put this lady's claims on TV. I like that you bring it up. She said, am I crazy? Yeah, crazy like a fox. And when you're not even trying to distance yourself from that, it's saying something. Yeah, so... She really embraced it. Yeah, I mean, she said, yeah, I'm wackadoodle, but I own it. Because I'll tell you what, my life has been stranger than fiction. And I said, well, how do you mean? And then she said, have you ever seen 1970s Beneath the Planet of the Apes? So what I'm saying is I had a heck of a call with this lady last week. (laughs) And it is so it's just fascinating to me how Fox now Fox claims this email wasn't the source of the segment. But if you look at it, it clearly is. It's the same language. And, And Dominion says during Discovery, they could find no other evidence that went into the creation of this segment. So I think it's pretty clear that it is. But you know, this isn't the first time that we've seen something so crazy land on Fox News with just, I mean, just like, all right, forward, 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 like forward to the producer, and it ends up in the teleprompter. I mean, think about the Seth Rich stuff, which was being investigated by a Fox News reporter. I put that lightly. But basically, what ended up happening was that Fox, there was this private investigator who was looking into it, and he appears to have, in working with the Fox National reporter, but he appears to have had a crush on a Fox local reporter, and he was trying to impress her and telling her all about this investigation and she said well great let's just put it up on the local channel and then fox national appears was oh god we got to rush this thing out and so it's these kind of peek behind the curtain and then you find out it's a like a rube goldberg machine of how they vet things just really strange stuff yeah absolutely it's great that this is like a game of mousetrap right where i spin the little crank and the little cage goes down and it lands on you sydney powell and you're gonna have to be stuck on the tv with her for a month (laughs) And then if you're Dominion, suddenly your company is just getting obliterated because some lady overheard a conversation at the grocery store. (laughs) All right. Who is our guest this week? Okay, this week we've got, I think, our first verified TikTok star. It's Kat Abu Gazela. She's a researcher at Media Matters. She's big on TikTok and Twitter for her life's work, which is watching Tucker Carlson every night. 
she does it so you don't have to i'll tell you what we do a lot of this stuff as well but tucker every night that might be too much even for you and me kelly yeah absolutely i salute the troops yes exactly so we've got all these tucker carlson text messages and emails coming out and we've got her she's watching it every night and i think she's got a lot of great insights on tucker so i'm excited to talk with millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from noom like evan who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds salads generally for most people are the easy button right for me that wasn't an option i never really was a salad guy that's just not who i am but noom worked for me get your personalized plan today at noom.com real noom user compensated to provide their story in four weeks the typical noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week individual results may vary Fever dreams, like all Daily Beast journalism, exist because of the generous support of our subscribers, the people who pay for access to Daily Beast reporting and who are, quite frankly, our favorite people on the face of the planet. Want to get in on all the action? Join now and get unlimited access to Beast reporting, exclusive ad-free newsletters, and our undying appreciation. Head to feverdreams.thedailybeast.com to sign up. All right. This week on Fever Dreams, we've got Kat Abugazale. She's a senior video producer at Media Matters, but you may know her as the young woman who watches Tucker Carlson for work, which is also the title of her recent New Yorker profile, which came out covering Kat's work watching Tucker Carlson every night. Kat, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. So how did you get into this line of work or this line of toil, perhaps? How is it that you're the person? People may know you from Twitter, from TikTok from your great video explainer saying, here's what's the deal with Tucker Carlson. But how did you get into this? Well, I've been in DC for going on year seven now, I think. I went here for college and then I graduated right during the pandemic. So May, 2020. And I was looking for a job and I studied extremism and journalism in college. And this was kind of the perfect mix working on Night Shift at Media Matters. I watched Hannity for the 2020 election. And then in 2021, January of that year, I moved to Tucker. So what does that look like? Your nightly routine, right? Getting ready to watch Tucker. I mean, do you have like a, walk us through how exactly you prep your mind for that battle. Every single day, people ask me how I watch this much Tucker and not go insane. And I mean, there are some days that are worse than others, but Overall, it's kind of fun. It's fun watching these patterns. It's fun watching him flounder. It's fun sending out a tweet that I know will trigger him and his producers. And so during the day, we start at four. So I watch the five usually at five o'clock. And then I work on videos until Tucker comes on. And after that, sometimes I need to decompress for like 10, 15 minutes. But usually I'm back on shift within then. Watching so much, Tucker, you pick up these patterns that I think people might miss, even if you're consuming whatever the terrible Twitter clip of the night is. One thing that struck me about the New Yorker profile of you is that you say that Tucker seems to be a little lost. Like he's a little unclear on what the deal with the show should be right now. Yes. Yeah, he really is. And it's getting more and more obvious. He just throws stuff out and hopes for the best. Can you give me some examples? Because I imagine is this coming off of 2020 and the pandemic, and now he's in his sort of like Jan 6 era? Yeah, so Tucker went full speed ahead for the 2020 election and then went into overdrive for the midterms. So during the 2020 election, he did what the rest of Fox was doing, if not a little more intense. I remember the first time he mentioned QAnon, and that was a big deal because he hadn't said it on air. Now he says it pretty much 
almost every day in kind of a joking way, trying to underscore the craziness of QAnon. And so then 2022, he took all of that election misinformation and disinformation that he'd been peddling since Biden was inaugurated and used that to say the elections are rigged, all this stuff, all the stuff that you're seeing in the Dominion case that Tucker, we now know, does not believe. And then he went into overdrive on attacking trans people. So during the midterms, his main things were Democrats are trying to rig the election. Trans people are trying to cut your child's penis off. And there's a race war coming. And you kind of hit a ceiling on cable news once you start citing your race war. Once you start saying that there's a race war on the horizon, there aren't a lot of places you can go from there unless you're just straight up Alex Jones. Who granted Tucker likes. So it's interesting. We've got all these revelations coming out of the Dominion lawsuit about Tucker's real contempt for his audience. He's calling them morons. He's saying, can't believe these people believe it. What do you make of these texts and messages that are coming out in Discovery now? On Friday, my manager, Andrew Lawrence, and I were talking about this. He seems kind of depressed right now. On Friday, it really seemed like he was just trying to get through the hour because it's so... His whole facade is gone now, but it's not gone for his audience. Fox hasn't mentioned the Dominion case at all. If you only watch Fox News, you have no idea that these texts exist. But really, they're just confirming what I and my coworkers already knew. He doesn't like his audience. He doesn't like the people he works with. He doesn't believe almost anything he says. He spreads hate for the money and for fun. But yeah, he's just, he's two-faced and it's, interesting to see that revealed. I can't imagine what it's like to be an assistant on his show right now. I assume that he is very angry. One thing that struck me from the messages was how Tucker seemed so afraid of antagonizing Trump that he perhaps felt that someone like Sidney Powell, he could take out, but it had to be sort of couched in a way that wouldn't anger Trump, calling him a demonic force. He's saying he can destroy us. How do you think Tucker walks that line? Well, he's kind of done an about face in the last week since those texts came out. So in the past six months, he'll bring up Trump intermittently, but it's very sporadic. And he'll say, whatever you think of the guy. So it appeals to people who don't like Trump anymore, whether because they're more moderate or more extreme and people who love Trump. But since those texts came out, he's done more sucking up to the former president. He talked about Trump's campaign promises and how they were really original. He wore babies, all this stuff, great stuff. And then last night, he went through this survey that he sent to all of the Republican presidential candidates or possible presidential candidates asking their positions on Ukraine. And he devoted a lot of positive coverage to Trump's answers, much more than I expected. So now it feels like he's putting extra work to court Trump and make sure he doesn't go on Trump's bad side. But before that, he was towing the line pretty well, just saying, whatever you think of Trump, whether you like him or don't like him, this thing is true. But I think he has to make up for some damage he's done with these texts. You're sort of the TikTok whisperer about Fox News to, I think, a generation that doesn't watch that much Fox. How do you get young people to care about the stuff that their grandparents are watching? That's really the reason I went on TikTok, because a lot of people don't know what Fox is saying and think that it's certifiably ridiculous. So I figured that TikTok would be the place to do it, to film these explainers and run by it piece by piece. And there are lots of other people that talk about Fox News, but unless you watch Tucker Carlson for a full-time job, you can't really dissect what he's saying with all of these little things that you only catch if you're watching him intently. 
It's been really weird though and great, I guess. So yeah, it's been really weird and great to see these responses that I'm getting. I have a lot of people my age or younger saying, I use this explainer to talk to my mom or my granddad about Fox News and kind of change their mind. And that's the goal. It's really great to hear that. But you can't just ignore Fox News because it is the most watched cable news channel in the country. Granted, that's 3 million viewers in a country that's much larger, but that's still 3 million viewers taking what they say as fact, no matter how much you want to say that no one can believe what they say. So one thing that strikes me about Tucker Carlson is he talks a lot about the Rwandan genocide. Sort of whenever there's any sort of racial criticism in the United States of, he says, well, this is what they did in Rwanda. Can you expand on that? I mean, what is the deal with that? It strikes me that he basically wants to say this is like Hitler, but he knows that's overdone. And so now he he had to find another genocide. Yep. You hit it right on the head. He loves to talk about Rwanda because it's a horrific genocide that I'm sure his audience isn't super well-versed in. They know that there was a genocide and a lot of it was spread over the radio. So Tucker just hits that because he can't make Holocaust comparisons on that show without being even more canceled than he already is. He really wants a race war. I did a video on this a couple months back that's just like a super cut of Tucker talking about race war. He loves talking about race wars. He wants one so bad by the way that he talks. I can't imagine someone describing race war in the way that Tucker does and not trying if their goal isn't to cause one. And Rwanda is the first one that he mentions. And he's had Rwanda, when he's talking about it, misspelled in the Chiron on his show, which I find just ridiculous. Yeah, seeing these clips, and I'm not a nightly Tucker watch, but seeing these clips that get out there, it strikes me that the Overton window on race stuff on Fox has really moved dramatically right in just the past few years. I mean, the idea that you have someone like Tucker saying essentially, like they're preparing to kill white people. I just don't feel like that was what they were up to in 2015, 2014. I mean, granted, I wasn't a full-time Fox watcher at that point, but I did grow up in the conservative media sphere growing up in Texas. But even in like the last two years or three years, I guess, it's ramped up so much. I mean, you had people saying these things about how BLM was poison and comparing it to like MS-13 and some really wild stuff in the summer and fall of 2020. But now you're hearing Tucker this week, he said that an article in the LA Times about environmental racism was basically white genocide. He said, why don't you just genocide them, referring to white people at this point? It's ramped up so much. And I think that he doesn't know where else to go because he's kind of reached the ceiling. And until you start doing like Holocaust denial or just, I'm trying to think of something crazier than that. It's hard though. That's what Tucker's run into. So Tucker always does seem to be one of the most outlandish people on Fox. And so I think he's often the target of boycott Fox campaign, campaigns to get advertisers to drop. But he is very much the star there. I think he's their most watched program. And I'm wondering, does Tucker need Fox to continue to be this figure or does Fox need him to carry them forward? I mean, it's a symbiotic relationship. Tucker gets the benefit of being able to say almost anything he wants on Fox. And Fox gets the clout from Tucker. I mean, they made him the face of their streaming service, Fox Nation. He has two shows on there. And then he has his nightly show. I do think it's the 8 p.m. time slot. I talk about this a lot. A lot of people on Night Shift talk about this a lot. Tucker is so successful because he got O'Reilly's slot. And I honestly think they could take Tucker out and put Jesse Waters or someone else in there, and it would be just as successful after a little bit of time of recovery. And I mean, what's O'Reilly up to? I mean, I know, because that's my job, but most people don't. 
what is Bill O'Reilly up to? He goes on Hannity Radio sometime, on Hannity's radio show. He's not doing great, though. So who is your favorite? Maybe favorite's not the right word. It seems like Tucker just, he goes down all these like weird rabbit holes, the screenshots of the testicle tanning and stuff like that. I mean, who's your favorite recurring Tucker guest in terms of just weird stuff that, because that people just don't realize is being blasted out on Fox every night. Oh my God, there's so many. I do have to say the one that I had the most visceral reaction to, so not my favorite, but the most visceral reaction is Heather MacDonald, who is one of the most racist Fox guests. She is just abhorrent. Every time she talks, I end up like throwing stuff in my living room. But there's this guy that is like this weird zookeeper and Tucker loves animals. It's the only time that I see any hint of humanity on his face is when he's talking about animals. And the zookeeper will come on. He's talked about like peacocks and just random stuff, but it's always just these outlandish stories that are not news at all. It's always on like a very busy news day that Tucker wants to ignore. And I like listening to him because I always laugh and I usually get to see a cute animal and that's fun. (laughs) It's like Tucker's rosebud moment, right? Like what could have been? He could have been a happier man, maybe tending a rhinoceros cage. Kat, you are one of the only people who has seen the inside of the right-wing dating app, The Right Stuff. This is a Peter Thiel funded effort to get those conservatives mingling. Can Can you tell me like how you got on there and what you found on the inside? Oh my God, it was so much fun. And I don't know if it's because the app isn't successful or because they have ramped up security and membership measures since I tweeted about it, but I haven't seen anyone else get on there, which is a bummer because it's a mess and I think everyone should make fun of it. So when it first came out, it's you have to get an invite. And I really, 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 really wanted to see what was on there. So I spent my time like reworking my Instagram, my Instagram bio. I put it on private. I changed my name, my profile picture to the shirt of me and like an American flag shirt and DM'd all of these people who were followed by the right stuff on Instagram. And they were low-level conservative influencers. And I DM'd exclusively men. And oh my God, it was so much easier than I expected. They all responded like instantly with an invite. Did not do any double checking, no deeper dive into who I'd be. Considering that my username is literally Katie Abu, you can just look that up and see media matters everywhere. So I got the invite, but it didn't open for another month. And it opened like the day before midterms. And I was thrilled. It was so much fun. My best friend was in town. We spent all this time scrolling down it. But then it got less fun because it was just repetitive. It was pictures of dudes standing in front of like an animal they shot and the same prompts about January 6th and how much they love Jordan Peterson and Matt Walsh. And it it was just lame. (laughs) I thought it would be more fun, especially because I put so much work into my profile. I grew up conservative. I'm like a conservative sleeper agent over here. Every single thing pressed all of the buttons. And these guys put no work into their profile. And I couldn't see any of the female profiles because you can't be gay on there. It was lame. I'm guessing you're probably one of the only female profiles on there. I'm guessing. I think my favorite feature on there was this one about like dates and meetups. And it didn't matter if you put your distance on there. It just completely ignored it and would send you people from like Idaho. And on the dates one, dudes would put up like, I'll be at this place at this time. Come hang out. Like, let's talk. And it was right at midterms. And so there was one that was like in El Paso talking about how he was really sad. He wanted to drink himself to death in a bar at like 2 a.m. I'm guessing no girls showed up to that. There were several being like, come to church with me. Um, And I think that's a horrible feature that every dating app should include. I love that. 
It's such a mess. I can't imagine that any woman showed up to these. I love it. The idea, it's sort of like a Love Island or a Bachelor in Paradise situation where you just throw all the couples in in one go and just see what shakes exactly. out, see what kind of chemistry exactly. happens. One dude was like, come on my boat. And all the pictures were him holding a gun. And I was like, what woman is going to do this? Right. Oh my God. International waters, baby, not a crime. So you mentioned growing up in Texas as a Republican, not unlike myself. I mean, do you think that background gives you a higher tolerance for watching Tucker every night? Oh my gosh, are you from Texas? Yeah, yeah, from Houston. Oh my God, Dallas, how cute, Kinsey's. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure about the tolerance, but I think it does help because I can see when well-meaning, and I hesitate to use the word well-meaning because there's no excuse for going full fash. But I can kind of understand some of the thought processes that these people in my replies or these guests that were booked on Tucker that are like just some guy who doesn't really know what he's saying. I can follow those trains of thought and I can understand at least where they're coming from or what they've probably been reading because that's what I was reading when I was in middle school, when I was in the beginning of high school. As far as tolerance, I mean, yeah, I guess that's part of it. I used to listen to Glenn Beck on the radio a lot and I enjoyed that, which is incredible. One thing people don't talk about enough about Glenn Beck is he mainly talks about this on his radio show is he would talk about kind of his wild party days, which I think were pre before he became a Mormon, but he would just tell these stories about just like, yeah, I used to be this like real bad dude. It's certainly an interesting radio show. A lot of conservatives have that, especially a lot of like super religious or evangelical people where they have to have the fall where they're saying cheating on my wife and drinking all the time and doing boatloads of cocaine. Now I've seen God and that's why I'm conservative. People eat that up. Oh my God. So you're kind of the voice of Fox to the youth, not pro Fox, but explaining Fox. Does Fox have its own efforts to reach people who are younger than 55? No, Fox doesn't have that. As far as I can tell, they're perfectly happy with their audience and not planning for when they eventually die off. I did a fake ad for Fox Nation, their streaming service last week. And if you like scroll down Fox Nation, it's exclusively boomer content. There is nothing that I can think would appeal to anyone my age, even in Texas or Arkansas or any deep red state. I feel like people on the right that are my age are going more for these extreme, smaller content creators and streamers. But Fox creates these narratives or at least carries these narratives that bolster those creators. And can you break that down? Like what is on Fox Nation, the streaming thing? Because I think I saw that TikTok and it was pretty dire. We've got Jesse Smollett, Anatomy of a Hoax. <laughs> Who is Hunter Biden? Part three. Well, this is the Hunter Biden. They did the Hunter Biden mock trial. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I covered the mock trial too. I love that. Which he got off on one of the charges, which wasn't even like a guilty verdict on the other one because it was just saying the U.S. should investigate him further. Castles, USA. What? <laughs> a lot of the Fox Nation stuff is just like traveling around to sites because I think it's probably really cheap to make. So it'll be like Steve Ducey and America's Greatest Parks. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like the Stanley Tucci goes to Italy, but more budget and a less charismatic voice. Well, actually, as long as we're on the topic of Fox Nation, Tucker also has a Fox Nation show and he does these documentaries. His show is it's sort of like Tucker's Lodge. It's sort of this like woodsy deal. It seems to me that the Fox Nation show is kind of where he goes to get a little wild with it. That's where he does like an hour long interview with the libs of TikTok lady. I mean, what's the difference between the cable show and the Fox Nation show? So the Fox Nation show is just him sitting in his main studio, Maine as in the state, and it's covered in wood paneling and he wears a plaid button down shirt because he's an everyman and he talks to some random person and pretends that he's interested in their lives. I think almost every, if not every 
episode of Tucker Carlson today has some jab at trans people, even if they're talking about something completely different. And sometimes you can see him just like looking at the person being like, oh my God, how are you saying these things? He's had some wild guests on there. I mean, he's at the lib- Libs of TikTok lady. He talks about aliens a lot on there. It's boring. I wouldn't recommend watching it, even if you are a Tucker fan. It's really, really boring. And his documentaries, Tucker Carlson Originals, also on Fox Nation, are the ball tanning one or one he had on MS-13, which was a whole lot of nothing. Great. So we've been joined by Kat Abugazale. Kat, where can people find your work? You can find me on Twitter at Abugazale Kat, as well as on TikTok at Kat M. Abu. And you can find me on YouTube under that same name. Great. Well, Kat, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. All right, and now it is time for Fresh Hell, where we tell you what the worst-dressed man is going to be wearing next week. (laughs) Yeah, so Kelly, when you're talking here about the worst-dressed man, we're talking here, of course, about Canadian professor, Eastern European habitué, (laughs) and, like, leading intellectual of the American right, Jordan Peterson. So Jordan Peterson was in the news. He absolutely ruined, I think it was Friday, he ruined my Friday night, because I saw people tweeting, oh no, Jordan Peterson posted a fetish video. Oh no, Fever Dreams is a family podcast. We're not going to get too into what he posted. But Jordan Peterson, he happened across a very obscure fetish, I would say, that involves machines and involves men's genitals and it involves milking, let's say. And I guess I'm pretty clear. And it involves a lot of latex as well. And he tweets like, wow, look at this sick video from communist China. I can't believe the government is doing this to people. This is like some kind of forced procreation or population program. And look, it's just a porn video. It's a fetish thing. It's gross. Why did he tweet it? I don't know. But it does make you think that this guy is this kind of intellectual hero of the right. Certainly if like... I don't know who the equivalent is on the left. Bernie Sanders was tweeting this stuff. I think people might have some questions. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this isn't even the same as Ted Cruz liking a porn video on 9-11 because that, I'm sure, was an accident. Jordan Peterson really felt like this is something that he needed to put out into the world. And I think it sort of rides on the tails of some just really outlandish Twitter behavior that I almost wonder if it's not just attention seeking. And well, I know we've wanted to get into this for a while, but Jordan Peterson, he's been posting his fits a lot. He's been posting his cool outfits on Twitter. And I'm not necessarily, I'm not steeped in the world of fashion, but I think there's something a little bit wacky about them. Can you Tell me about his heaven and hell suit. Yeah, so people have been roasting Jordan Peterson's fits. So we all know his arc. He had this book, 12 Rules for Life, his second book. It kind of made him this hero to lost men. And then he had, sort of at the top of his fame, he develops a benzo addiction. He disappears into Eastern European sanatoriums. It's one of these, like, I'm not making this up. I'm not making this up. His daughter gets him on this all-beef diet. He kind of goes on this journey for about a year and a half, maybe two years. Now he reemerges, and we're about a year into his comeback and his fits are insane and so the one i think is most disturbing (laughs) maybe not (laughs) there's a lot to choose from here but it's this suit and it is the pants i think are they're kind of like a scarlet yeah they're kind of a maroon the pants are passable like they're a little unusual but you wouldn't be super out of place no single color from the suit is weird it's how it works in combination it's also the internal lining Yes. And so the jacket here is where things get a little twisted. And this man, he clearly considers himself the Joker because every time you see a picture of him, he's got in one of these suits. He's like, he, he, he. So let's get to what it is. Right. So the jacket 
it is a split. I don't think I've ever seen a suit like this. It is half of it is scarlet and half of it is navy. And then the lining on the scarlet side, it's like it looks like a stock photo of flames. Yes, it's a stock photo. And on the other side, it looked like a Windows background of clouds, like a screensaver. And so that's the lining. And then the tie he wears is like the same thing. It's like clouds slash flames just slashed across. So especially there's been a lot of interest in menswear lately on Twitter. And people have been dunking on this guy a lot. And they're saying, why is Jordan Peterson dressed like this? And he has some busted outfits otherwise. But there is a specific deal going on with this suit. So this company called LGFG, which makes... I was not aware of before this, makes some of history's ugliest suits for people like former Hercules Kevin Sorbo. They made Jordan Peterson, and I dug up a video of someone at one of his talks asking him about suits, and he was like, oh, they're, they're like this. And so this company made 12 suits for him for each one of the 12 rules for life. But it seems to be kind of loose because like one of the 12 rules is like pet every cat. And I would say that should be made of cat hair. Simple enough, but not the case. And so this is a heaven and hell suit. So the flames represent hell. The clouds represent heaven. But the thing that just drives me absolutely nuttiest about this is that the heaven part is made of sheep's wool. I don't even think this is true, by the way, because it doesn't look that different. I think this is a lie. But the red part is supposedly made of goat's wool. Kelly, what do you make of that? I make of that he's going to be really scratchy just for like a very symbolic point that like goats are evil or something. That is such a twisted garment. That's like something someone in, should be wearing in hereditary for a ceremony. <laughs> that is such an evil thing to wear. It absolutely is. I mean, like, listen, we knock people for throwing around the words like Luciferian and everything. There is something genuinely like I do feel like this has yeah. its origins in some kind of like occult ritual. Yeah, if people were like John Podesta wears a goat's wool suit, I'd be like, ooh, maybe they're <laughs> onto something. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, listen, we've got a lot of weird suits to choose from. I think you are right that this is the standout worst suit, but I want to offer up some other contenders, right? Because this one at least seems reasonably well tailored. I would say maybe it's a little bit long, but whatever. What his, I would say, just like worst fit is, is a powder blue situation. Mm -hmm. Tell me about this suit. It's like Willy Wonka, but like if Willy Wonka specialized in, I don't know, cotton candy, maybe it's like this powder blue thing. It's got cream lapels. It's got a little accent cream pocket. And I can't quite see what's going on, but it looks like it has rolled cuffs on the pant legs. He's got a matching waistcoat and he's wearing also a tie with little Elon Musk heads on it. And he's wearing some kind of high top sneaker. Now, I want to engage with Mr. Peterson's ideas on the merits, right? He says that there's a crisis of masculinity, that men are being boys. And listen, if you want to not be a boy, you need to stop dressing so sloppy. I'm sorry. Let's just yeah. engage with this as it is, because this whole like high top basketball shoes actually look like Converse, right? They've got the funky lacing going on and he's sitting cross-legged on a floor and his waistcoat is bunched up. The cuffs are kind of rolled at the bottoms. It looks sloppy, my man. Well, and this, I believe, is the suit that has the tweet lining. Oh, does it? I'm trying to peer yeah, in Yeah, yeah, you can't make that from the picture. But yeah, it's his tweets are in the lining. Or maybe it's <laughs> Elon Musk tweets. These are the most twisted garments. I looked up this LGFG company, and they seem to give a lot of suits to sort of perhaps fading stars. They gave a Twitter suit to Kevin Sorbo, as I mentioned. They gave kind of a more or less regular looking suit to Jason Alexander. So sorry that he's gotten caught up in this. Wait, Jason Alexander, the Seinfeld guy or Britney yes. Spears' ex 
husband who's into flat earth and stormed the Capitol. <laughs> the Seinfeld guy. Okay. But honestly, with this podcast, we got to specify. They, they also make, and now this is disturbing beyond belief. This is, as they say, twisted. They make a suit vest with just Heath Ledger as the Joker on the back of it. <laughs> That would rock. I think that was actually, that is something that I could wear to a Roger Stone Red Scare party, unironically. I think that would fit perfectly. Yeah, people would love it. So I guess for me, you talk about Jordan Peterson as sort of his big intellectual ideas, and particularly in kind of his first phase, he kind of exposed himself with the all beef thing and the sanatorium thing. When he was really astride the world, his fans, you watch this guy's videos and you're like, this guy seems like a doofus. I don't know. And his fans would say, well, no, you have to read 12 Rules for Life. You have to read his book about how women are chaos monsters from primordial soup. (laughs) You have to watch all of these like 40 minute videos he did. And I thought I kind of didn't engage with him because I didn't feel like putting all that effort into it. But between the fetish video and these suits, I feel really confident that the guy, he's not really this intellectual we have to handle. No, I mean, listen, he loves attention just like everybody else on the internet. I mean, he's not really a professor so much as a poster these days. He's got, I think, a Daily Wire gig. He's just riding the attention wave. And I think if you can do that in a goat's hair suit, then more power to you. Well, I think it's a great look. And if LGFG wants to send me a suit of my tweets, I have to say, sometimes you look back at your old tweets and you have a little chuckle. You're like, that was a pretty good tweet. So I guess I can see the appeal. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know that I could pull off a suit, but maybe some kind of gala outfit, a flowing gown with some of my most viral (laughs) moments. On that note, let's wrap up this episode of Fever Dreams from The Daily Beast. In future installments, we'll also be speaking to some amazing guests at The Daily Beast and beyond, from politics to popular culture. We hope you'll subscribe to us on your preferred podcast app and share the show on social media and at your family dinner table. If you'd like to follow us on Twitter, I'm at Will Summer and Kelly is at Kelly Weil. That's W-E-I-L-L. Come say hi. This podcast is produced by Jesse Cannon with music by Brian DeMeglio. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.